Oklahoma has been favored to beat Texas in 10 consecutive matchups. This is for a good reason. Oklahoma has been a significantly better program than Texas over the last decade. However, up until OU beat Texas in last year's Big 12 title game, the Sooners had failed to cover the spread in six consecutive games against the Longhorns. When you dig a little deeper, it gets even more frustrating. In 2013, Oklahoma was 5-0 and number 12 in the country. Texas was 3-2 and had just lost David Ash to a career-ending concussion. Thus, we're forced to start Case McCoy in the Red River Showdown. Oklahoma was significantly better than Texas that season. They were 13.5-point favorites. It did not matter. They ended up losing the game outright, 36-20, and it wasn't even that close. OU would go on to finish the season 11-2 with a Sugar Bowl win over Alabama, making their game against Texas even more frustrating that season. The next year, in 2014, Oklahoma entered the game with college football playoff aspirations on their mind, and Texas entered the game at 1-4. The Sooners were significantly better than Texas that season. They were a 16.5-point favorite. It did not matter. They did win an ugly game, 31-26, but Texas was clearly the more motivated team. Oklahoma was lucky to win. In 2015, Oklahoma steamrolled through the Big 12 and went to the college football playoff. The only Big 12 game in which they weren't dominant was against a Texas team that again entered the Cotton Bowl 1-4. The Sooners were 16.5-point favorites for the second consecutive year. Oklahoma was overwhelmingly better than Texas in 2015. It did not matter. Texas won the game 24-17 in what is still the worst performance since Lincoln Riley arrived on campus. The next year, in 2016, Oklahoma hobbled into the game at 2-2, but the Sooners were still 13.5-point favorites. Oklahoma was significantly better than Texas. It didn't matter. Texas traded blows with the Sooners all afternoon and eventually fell 45-40, but still... The Longhorns punched well above their weight and, at times, seemed like the more motivated team. That next season, in 2017, Oklahoma was a college football playoff team and very much national title worthy. They were significantly better than Texas and were nine-point favorites. The Sooners got out to a fun 20-0 lead, but the Longhorns eventually took a 24-23 lead in the fourth quarter before Baker Mayfield and Mark Andrews bailed the Sooners out. They won the game 29-24, but again allowed Texas to outperform expectations. That brings us to last year. The Sooners were seven-point favorites and boasted the best player in college football. It did not matter. Texas physically manhandled the Sooner defense and got Mike Stoops fired. Texas was the better prepared and more motivated team for what seemed like the sixth consecutive year. Now the first half of the Big 12 title game in December played out similarly. The Sooners were actually bigger favorites the second time around at 9.5, but Texas came out like the better team again. And it wasn't until late in the first half that the Sooners found their poise, ended up winning the game by double digits. So now here's the deal. I'm tired of this crap. I'm tired of Texas coming out as the more motivated and fired up team. They shouldn't be. Oklahoma is better. Don't screw around. Don't let Texas dictate the attitude of the game. Impose your freaking will all day and do not let up. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. Brings up third down and 21 for the Longhorns at the 46. Ellinger. 
Finds Little Jordan. And Little Jordan Humphrey holds his way forward. Gets a push from his mates. Close to a first down. And the exact same scenario earlier in the game. A, a huge third down game presents an easier fourth down opportunity. And Texas will go for it again here. Remember, OU has not stopped a fourth and short all year. First and goal of the five. Hanniger running. Hanniger looking for a Touchdown on Texas. His second rushing touchdown of the day. Lil Jordan Humphrey and then Sam Ellinger, unfortunately, welcomes us into the second half of this week's episode. Both of those plays happened on the same drive last year at the Cotton Bowl. Opening series of the second half, Oklahoma trailed by a touchdown. Curtis Bolton gets a big-time sack of Ellinger on second down, pushes the horns back to third down and 21. Texas calls a little slip screen to Humphrey with the hopes of getting just close enough to attempt a field goal. But instead of him being stopped for an eight-yard gain, he just pushes the pile for 19 yards, sets up a makeable fourth down and two against Oklahoma's awful 2018 defense. Of course, Texas got that first down. Then later in the drive, Ellinger powered in for a touchdown to give Texas a 31-17 lead. I picked those plays to share with you today because, number one, they were maddening, and two, we all hope the Oklahoma defense is not that anymore. And Saturday, fair or not, we'll find out if this team is ready for prime time on both sides of the football. What's up, everybody? Two days in a row, you've got me here on West of Everest. Hopefully, you listened and enjoyed part one of this week's podcast. If you have not yet listened, feel free to check it out right now or whenever you'd like. doesn't really matter to me. Uh, we play a bunch of sound bites from Jalen Hurts, Alex Grinch, Bill Biedenboe and more Oklahoma players from this past week. Today in part two, Grant and I are going to give you a full preview of what to expect on the field at the Cotton Bowl on Saturday. Let's not waste any more time. We'll bring in Grant for the first time today and for the first time this week. Grant, are you feeling any better? And if not, are you healthy enough to power through this podcast? Not particularly feeling much better. In fact, I probably today is probably the worst I've felt all week today. But I'm I'm good enough to power through. I, I can I think I can do this. You so know, before this talking OU Texas will fire me up no matter what. So before this podcast we started recording, what would your injury designation have been going into this podcast? What would you have been listed as? Oh, I'm a, I'm a part. I mean, probable, probably. You would have been like, probable. Okay. Yeah, I mean, no, I'm playing for sure. I just, you know, sometimes you just gotta kind of gotta lay low for a little bit and uh, and recharge the batteries so you can come out come out strong for the game that's what i'm doing right now so the uh, part one of the podcast i did yesterday and i played a lot of sound went over some news and notes and there's probably some things that i talked about that we'll bring up again so you can give your thoughts on it and i think your health is a nice transition into something i'm not sure how much we need to talk about this because i think it's kind of gotten a little more clear as the week has gone on but coming into this game i think injuries are a pretty big deal on both teams mainly uh, you know, there's lots of guys on Texas that have kind of been up in the air, but it seems like a lot of them are going to play. And obviously on Oklahoma, the big injury question marks are are on the offensive line. But let's start with Texas, Grant. And I've gathered some some guys here on the sheet you're looking at in front of you of players who are expected to play in this game. And I'm wondering, as you look over this, is there any names on here that that you're surprised to see or that you disagree with or that I'm missing here as far as expected to play? Uh, in this game and then I have a, an out list too but is there any names I'm missing or that uh, you want to comment on 
No, I don't think so. I, I think everything looks uh, looks correct there. The one guy that I thought was going to be out longer for Texas, but he ended up playing last week as well, was B.J. Foster. And I thought that was kind of the really big one for Texas. If there was a guy who I would prefer to be out out of this group, it would be him. But, um, you know, still, I it's... You know, Texas, yes, yeah. I mean, they're, they're dealing with a lot of injuries. I mean, who, who said? I mean, there's a lot of these guys are going to play. Who says they're going to be fully healthy, though? Yeah, you mentioned B.J. Foster. He's on the expected to play list, and obviously you all can't see this list, so I'll go over it. Colin Johnson, he's expected to be back, the big, tall, wide receiver who I had as my preseason All-Big 12 receiver. He's been hurt, and he's not going to be All-Big 12 this year, so that was a swing and a miss. And at the time, Grant, you went with Jalen Rager, so you're looking a lot better. Now, because I think Rager's having a pretty good year. Uh, Keontae Ingram, the running back. I know he was sh- shaking up a bit last week against West Virginia. He's expected to be fine and play. Other guy that was kind of knocked around, I think, had potentially a, ca- a concussion against West Virginia, but I think he's fine, is the tight end, Cade Brewer. Uh, safety, Chris Brown's also expected to play. And then also a guy who's been out for a while, I think maybe since week one, is defensive back DeMarvian Overshawn. And he has not played again since, uh, I believe, week one. So that'll be interesting to see how how healthy he is to play. So those are the names in the expected to play list. The big names that are out, though, that are not expected to play, and, I, and I, I don't know if they've been officially ruled out, but for all intents and purposes, I think they're out. Safety, Caden Stearns, who's missed uh, the last couple of games, or at least the last game, because he was injured, I believe, against Oklahoma State. And also cornerback Jalen Green. So two defensive backs are supposed to be out for Texas, and obviously Stearns is the big name of the group that's not going to play. Looks like he's going to miss his second game because uh, Texas had a bye after they played Oklahoma State, but uh, Stearns looks like he's still not going to be healthy to play. So that's the injury situation for Texas. Again, not a whole lot, I guess, to say there. I thought there might be more discussion of this earlier in the week, but as the week has gone on, I I think we've kind of figured out who's going to play, who's not going to play, and... I think the more interesting discussion is Oklahoma's injury situation, Grant, because it revolves around Eric Swenson and Adrian Ely's availability. And I talked about this on part one of the podcast. My contention is that Ely is more likely to play than Swenson. Again, that's just my opinion. That's from what I've gathered in here in the last week or so. What Lincoln Riley said on Monday is that they're both, quote, highly questionable for the game. That seems to be the truth from what I've heard. But, again, my thoughts are that Swinson, I think, is probably more doubtful than questionable, in my opinion. And I think Ely is more on the right side of questionable as opposed to closer to doubtful. But I'm not so sure how close Ely is to probable. Uh, that's as, as detailed as I can get on that, from my opinion. So, Grant, you haven't had a chance to talk about this at all yet. We both kind of thought Ely's ordeal was not that big of an issue and that he'd probably be good to go for Texas. But now that's... That's up in the air, and you throw Swinson into the mix as well. Is there any way for you to sugarcoat this situation for the Sooners? Not really. I think this is what's going to decide the game, to be honest with you. Which offensive line plays better? And if the Sooners are down two starters, that's obviously going to make it a little difficult. So um, I, I tend to agree with your assessment. If you just kind of go around um, you know, some of the insider sites and whatnot, I know the, uh, the Sooner Scoop podcast they were saying that they kind of they think Ely is is likely to play maybe, and that Swinson is maybe even like a threat to miss the the rest of the season. Actually, is what some of their thoughts were. Um, they're a little closer to the program, so that's why I bring it up. Um, yeah, I mean this is a big deal. I, I thought 
I thought if you wanted to if you wanted to nitpick one concerning thing from the Kansas game, it was the performance of the offensive line. I thought they were a little uneven. I thought they allowed Kansas to get into the backfield a little too much. And going up against a Texas team whose strength on the defensive side of the ball, frankly, is attacking the run game with their defensive backs, um, coming from different angles and pressures and whatnot, that's certainly, I mean, that concerns me a little bit. Because that's going to be difficult, especially for, let's say, if Tyrese Robinson has to play on the outside. I mean, you got Tyrese Robinson and R.J. Proctor, two natural guards playing tackle. And that's no bueno. So, um, I got to say, yeah, if OU loses this game, it's going to be because of injuries on the offensive line. No doubt. So, if Swenson and Ely both can't go on Saturday... I think it's a good news, bad news scenario, but the bad news outweighs the good news. Here's the: Do you want the good news first or the bad news first? There's no good news, <laughs> but uh, I'm 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 curious as to how you're going to spin it, though. So, yeah, Which I'll take. What would you I'll, like I'll, first? I'll take the good news first. All right, because the bad news is obvious. Because the bad news is they're both not going to be playing, so that's the bad news. But the good news is, for the first time all year, we're likely to see the same exact starters on the offensive line from a game to game basis, from Kansas game to the next game. Since every single game, it's been a different fivesome. So there'll be slight continuity on the offensive line, most likely, if, uh, if those two guys are out. That's the only bit of good, good news I can find. Yeah. And also, you know, if you do want to sugarcoat it and if you do want to spin it in a positive light, that offensive line pairing, or at least a large, you know, a large portion of it, they did play well against Texas Tech, which is statistically and also by my eyes so far this year, a better defense than Texas. Yeah, so that offensive line would be the same offensive line that started against Kansas. Let's say Swinson and Ely doesn't play. From left to right, it'd be Proctor, Hayes, Humphrey, Bray Walker, and Tyrese Robinson at right tackle. So that would be uh, the same guys who started against Kansas. I, you, again, if Swinson and Ely do not play, you would expect those five, same five to start in this game. And, and depth, it's just not there right now for Oklahoma Grant. Uh, I talked about this on part one of the podcast Bill Biedenboe was kind of short when he was asked behind R.J. Proctor at that tackle spot, who is there right now? And Biedenboe said, me. And that was it. And it's a joke, but it's also a scary joke because that means that he's just not happy with the depth uh, up to this point. And he's been talking about that since fall camp. And he was hoping to get, I want to say his, at the time he said like he felt comfortable at the time, like with seven or eight players and he wanted to get up to 10 or 11. And I think it's easy to say now that, that, it's not at double digits yet, the confidence level of his players. So this is kind of like Bill Biedenboe's biggest project, I'd say, because he's never had this in his career where he's had five different starting lineups in five straight games to start the season. So we always praise him a lot. He's getting put to the test right now, Grant, so far early to midway through the 2019 season. Yeah, and this is really the first time it doesn't feel like he's got a lot of bodies to choose from. Um, or maybe they do. It's just, you know, they're just not ready. And I mean, and like Stacy Wilkins is obviously RJ Proctor's backup. So, <laughs> okay. but, but I mean, but still, um, yeah, I mean, they, they just don't have a lot of healthy bodies there right now. And, you know, Bobby Evans and Cody Ford both leaving early for the NFL. I mean, that, that hurt their depth for sure. And so you got Beatenbow saying there were seven or eight guys he maybe trusts in the preseason. Two guys are down now, and so there's the five guys out there right now that he trusts. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm I'm a tad concerned. Uh, this is this is the one area of the game I think you have to. It, it's hard to come up with a handicap for because you just don't know what you're going to get. And um, 
I mean, I, I could certainly envision some sort of scenario where OU's offensive line just plays really poorly. Um, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me that much. You kind of hope that they scheme around it to the point where that, that isn't the case. But injuries happen on the offensive line, and it's not easy just to plug and play guys. That's just that's that's not something that happens very often, especially in college football. All right, let's table the OU offense talk and switch over to the Texas offense as we break down Sam Ellinger and company against Alex Grinch and Oklahoma's defense. So I got a lot of numbers here on Texas, and I don't want to just go over a bunch of numbers because I think that would be kind of boring and, and a bit overwhelming. So I think as we discuss Texas, maybe organically these numbers will come up. But I think generally, Grant, we'll both agree me begrudgingly because I don't like saying positive things about Texas offense because over the last few years with Sam Ellinger in I just don't really like their offense very much and maybe it's just his style of play and the way he plays the quarterback position position that I have not liked but I got to say the Texas offense is the best it's been since Sam Ellinger has played quarterback at Texas and it's no surprise that Sam Ellinger is having a career year right now He's completing almost 70% of his passes, and that was my one of my biggest knocks on him the last couple of years is that he's not particularly accurate. I think he completed something like under 60% of his passes his first year, and I think last year he was like around 63 or so, maybe even 65, but this year he's close to 70%. He's playing really well, and that offense is humming. It's not necessarily an explosive offense, but it's an incredibly efficient offense, and it's an offense that gets a lot of... Uh, it's an offense that gets things done on third down at an elite level. So, Grant, your thoughts generally on the Texas offense? It's a good offense. It's it's a really good offense, and I think the biggest, the thing that drives them the most is Sam Ellinger's uh, comfort and his his command of the offense. He he knows exactly what he's doing on every single play. I think he he knows pretty much where he's going with the ball on every single play when he looks at the defense, and uh, you know. Ellinger makes that offense go. He he he's the guy, and I I kind of started to to recognize how good of a player he was halfway through last season, and he's only proven it more at this point last year. I I still think he's limited physically, but the guy the guy has an elite level understanding of what his coaches want him to do in that offense, and he executes really well. Hate him or not, that that's just the truth. And yeah, again, sixty nine percent completion percentage is about. You know, 1,500, almost 1,500 yards passing. He's got 17 touchdowns, two interceptions, and I think his rushing stats have been, uh, you know, yards, uh, carries per game, or maybe slightly up over the past few years, which is interesting considering that they've done a pretty nice job of throwing the football. So, all right. So, yeah, we have some prompts here. I know you have a lot of thoughts. We've watched a lot of tape. Let's just quickly go over what have we watched. So, I have watched almost the entirety of last week's game against West Virginia. I, uh, I stopped watching after that offensive lineman touchdown that Samuel Cosme scored. I, I kind of packed it in then. I watched most of the Oklahoma State game back. Obviously, I saw that entire game when it was live. I watched that entire game. Uh, I rewatched it a bit, and I rewatched a little bit of the LSU game after seeing most or all of it You know when it happened a few weeks ago. So that's where I'm coming from. That's where a lot of my notes are from. Grant, what about you? Yeah, I'm I'm in the exact same boat. I've uh, I completely rewatched the uh, the LSU game, and I also watched it live a month ago. I completely rewatched Oklahoma State, and then I watched the first three quarters of West Virginia. Um, so yeah, I've and and also I've I've basically watched Texas live every single week as well. So 
Um, OU and Texas are the two teams I have seen the most of this year by far. All right, so I think this could be a pretty fun slash annoying slash easy question to start out with. What scares you the most about this Texas offense? We'll use that as the question to get us going. Do you want me to start? Yeah. Okay. So, and I'll just I'll just throw it out there. I'm I'm slightly terrified of how OU is going to defend them when they go four and five wide. Um, just because Sam Ellinger seems to have a really nice understanding of what he wants to do with the ball in those situations. And Devin, De- uh, Devin Duvernay Lee has just has, has completely taken over the, uh, the void that Lil Jordan Humphrey left. He's playing the exact same position and he's been just as impactful this season, um, in, in a lot of respects. And so I, you know, I, I was wrong about Duvernay. I said before the season, he's nothing special. He's just Duran Neal. Um, that's, that's not the case. Duvernay is a much, is a much more polished player and he's, he's a good player. Um, and he's done a good job of, of mimicking LJ Humphrey. Although obviously in stature and in physical body type, they're a lot different. Um, but they do, they, they really stress defenses when they spread, when they spread teams out. Cause when you have, uh, Duvernay and, or Duvernay in the slot with Colin Johnson on the outside and Brennan Eagles and Brennan Eagles is a one trick pony. He runs two routes. Uh, but also, I mean, he's, 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 He's been pretty much the uh, the one guy who's had a ton of explosive plays for them this year, though. So you always kind of have to keep an eye out for that. Um, and then just also Ellinger with the spread out defense is always a threat to run as well. And they a lot of the times, Lee, they go they go into hurry up, and so they they can switch from eleven personnel to ten personnel pretty seamlessly and pretty easily. And uh, that that kind of concerns me a little bit. I'm not sure if OU has the personnel to defend that on a consistent basis. Wait, hold on. Repeat that last part again about their personnel. I was I was reading something, so I didn't catch it. But what would you say? They can shift from eleven personnel to ten personnel almost seamlessly, easily. Oh, okay. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I I was tracking and logging the West Virginia game the entire time. I mean, they're they're in eleven personnel basically the entire game, almost exclusively. I mean, yeah, yeah. But I, there's but, one time I noticed they were in twelve personnel on a first down. But for the most part, yeah, I mean, even when they go, you know, they go five wide, they're they're still 11 personnel. They just split their running back out into the trips. They put them out wide from what I noticed. So, uh, but anyways, did you, but, what was your point, though? I, wait, my point about what? Well, you're just sorry. You're going to you just said, but like you had something really incredibly important to say. I don't know. Do you want me to should we go into where like where I see the weaknesses, though? Or are we going to get that later? Oh, we'll get that later. That's a good okay. one. Here, write write that down into the the rundown so we don't forget to go into weaknesses. I uh, so it's my turn to say the scariest thing, and mine. Uh, see, yours was more like you know how they play, how Oklahoma's defense plays whenever Texas goes four and five wide. Mine is just a little bit more simple. My the scariest thing about Texas's offense to me is just Devin Duvernay over the middle of the field. He's always in the slot. Ellinger looks to him all the time, especially on third down, of which Texas is really good this year. They seem to have a pretty good rapport where Duvernay will kind of find that open spot and Ellinger knows it and puts the ball on him more often than not. You mix that with the fact that Oklahoma's pass defense has been mostly susceptible this season in the middle of the field, up the seams, and I think there's a recipe for disaster right there. Throwing in, too, I'm also not so sure if Kenneth Murray can play pass defense at a level that's satisfactory to what you know, we need him to be at, at this point. I know he had a nice PBU against Kansas where he got his hand up, got his hand on the ball, knocked it down. But I do recall another play in the game where 
he just didn't really pay attention to a slot receiver a slot receiver excuse me that was able to run three run free through his zone and make an easy catch against uh, against Kansas in that game and it just didn't seem like Murray even saw the guy instead he was looking into the backfield so to me the situational awareness and pass coverage just is not something that's it might not be easily taught because I still think Kenneth Murray struggles with that so again Devin DuVernay anywhere over the middle of the field to me is downright frightening that's that's what scares me the most about this offense yeah and so and yeah DuVernay is is absolutely what makes their offense go I, I, I am not mincing words when I say he's taken over for LJ Humphrey. LJ Humphrey was the basis of their offense last season. Devin Duvernay is the basis of their offense this season. Everything goes through him. Um, I, if, if I'm Oklahoma, my main game plan going into this game is stop Devin Duvernay. That, I mean, that's that has to be their game plan. Same here. I mean, he's averaging 10 catches a game. He's got four touchdowns this year. He's uh, let's see yards per game. Uh, I'm not seeing it here because I'm looking at a stupid stat. But um, yeah, he's he's had a great year. He's got 45 grabs, 463 yards, four touchdowns, and he's a really good route runner. Great example of that. A lot of you may have watched that Oklahoma State Texas game, the very first touchdown where he he made a, a quick first two steps were inside, then he planted went up the seam right after the defensive back, and then went to the the post and cut there sharply and it was a great throw by Ellinger too but I mean that was just a really nice route and you see it all the time from him a lot of the times kind of you know those first couple of steps or slants in and then he he turns it up the field and uh he's all again he's able to sit in find the the soft spots and Ellinger again that rapport seems to be pretty obvious and yeah you're right I mean the offense does run through Devin Duvernay. So you wrote it down there. Thank you for uh, putting in the weaknesses, and that's kind of what you wanted to to transition to next. So that's fair. Let's get into the point where we talk about, you know, where in this Texas offense, you know, are are they a bit, uh, let's say, limited, if you will. And to me, uh, you know, once again, the run game is not great. However, I will say Keontae Ingram and is it Roshan Johnson, the other running back that's gotten a lot of reps? I mean, they're pretty good players. Uh, I think Johnson's better. I, yeah, I do too. I do too. And he's like the quarterback, like supposed to be like a backup quarterback or something. Yeah, but he's like their third string quarterback. Third string quarterback. Okay. He's good. He's a good player. This Texas offensive line is supposed to be incredibly solid. And it seems like they're very good at pass blocking and and I don't know how much that has to do with the fact that they're just good at pass blocking or every time they pass the ball, it seems like Texas is always in max protect because they don't want to have Ellinger get hit that much. But, uh, you know, running is it's still not really their strength. I mean, Ellinger is having a good, you know, a good season running the football. I do think that I guess I don't have like a, a main weakness, Grant. I did notice, though, and this might not be the right category. There are some tells in Texas's offense as far as giving away or tipping particular not necessarily what they're going to run or like who the ball is going to go to sometimes but whether or not it's going to be a run or a pass play which I kind of found interesting as I watch back film so I'll throw it over to you because it sounds like you might have a little bit more concrete uh, statement on a weakness for Texas's offense no so yeah I mean I I share a lot of your thoughts about the offensive line in the running game one of the things I just noticed in the first in the three games that I watched that they've played against good competition um 
and I, I'm not sure West Virginia is good competition, but um, they're they're incapable of running the ball. Um, they're they're incapable of running the ball if it's not against a light box. That's the only time they're really capable of running the ball. If there's if there's an extra defender in the box, they're not going to be able to run it. Um, and so I that's that slightly concerns me because I I don't want OU to fall into that trap of thinking oh it's all about the run game we got to stop the run. No, Texas is a passing team. They need to stop the pass first. Um, I am going to beat that drum a ton in this podcast today. Um, so th- there's that as well. I just yeah they're they're not gonna they're not gonna rip off a 75 yard touchdown run on you. They're just not going to. That's that's not their offense. That's not how they operate. Um, so in that regard, they, they don't really scare me that much. This is, this is the best offensive line Texas has probably had in the last decade. Um, Sam Cosme, their left tackle is a really good player. Um, he did a really good job on Kalev and Shassan, um, uh, of, of, of LSU a month or so ago, just like, didn't really give up any pressures at all. He was also talking smack this week, which I'm sure did, did you talk about that in the podcast yesterday? Yeah, yeah but you can talk about it if you want, obviously Jeez, I was going to throw how- that out there. I kind of I kind of like it. I I definitely for a change. I definitely I like it when the other team is talking smack, especially when they're the underdog. That that's fun. That's really fun. And especially he's talking smack about maybe the two best players on OU's defense, <laughs> which seems. And and I'm Sam. You don't want any of the smoke that Neville Gallimore is going to bring you, my man. I'm sorry, <laughs> dude. That's that that's just not smart. But you know you can do well, what you want. Luckily for Samuel Cosme, he's. Well, I mean, they move Gallimore quite a bit. They'll they'll move him and, and stunt him and things like that. But he's not going to be head up with Samuel Cosme a whole lot as the nose guard. So I think Cosme's got that going for him. But he'll be head up a lot of times with Ronnie Perkins. That's for sure. I think there's a lot of Texas people who are going to be who are going to be surprised at how impactful Neville Gallimore is in this new scheme. He is I mean, Gallimore is, has just been sensational this season, and I expect him to be on Saturday. So. Um, and there's no way that Cosme I'm sure he's watched film and you know he talked I think either Monday or Tuesday so early in the week so who knows how much tape they'd watched already of Oklahoma because I'm sure they'd watched some it's it's Oklahoma but uh, he doesn't know a whole lot I bet about Jalen Redmond who it's not like Jalen Redmond's playing 50 to 60 snaps a game but Redmond's still you know subbing in and along that defensive line with all the other guys and and I think he's the third best defensive lineman on the team. And and so I'm kind of curious to see if he can have some impact in this game and what kind of plays he can make because I don't know if Texas knows that much about him at all yet. And so, and I'm, and I, this may be the hot take portion of here, but Oklahoma, this is the best defensive line that Texas has played this season, even better than LSU's. That, that was confirmed to me after rewatching that game. Oklahoma's defensive line is much more disruptive than LSU's is. Um, hopefully wow, we'll see that. Hopefully we'll see that play out. Um, but those three guys that we just mentioned, Gallimore, Perkins, and Redmond, they're better than anyone Texas has, anyone that Cosme's gone against in practice. So uh, choose your words carefully is all I got to say to him. We're talking about the Texas offense and kind of the maybe weaknesses they might have. I mentioned earlier in the show they're not really an explosive offense. And so this is the part we're going to bring up some explosive plays. And so when it comes to plays of 10 yards or more, Texas has 92 this year, which is pretty good. They're top 20 in college football. You'd expect an offense that's pretty good to be pretty high up there. But when you go to 20-plus yard plays and 30-plus yard plays, they're not great. I mean, Texas has only had 23 plays this year of 20 or more yards, which ranks 74th in the nation. And when it comes to 30 or more yard plays, 
Only seven times Texas has gained 30 or more yards on a single snap, which is ranked 102nd in the nation. And it kind of goes along with how good Texas is on third down, Grant, because they're not all that explosive, really. So they're in third down quite a bit. But Texas is converting 56.5% of its third downs, which is second in college football. So even though they're not getting the massive, huge chunk, 30, 40, 50-yard explosive plays, they're just kind of beating you, uh, you know, death by a 1,000 cuts with, you know, six yards here, three yards here, get third and short, pick it up, third and five, pick it up, go to uh, Devin DuVernay, you know, run it with Sam Ellinger. So it's... It fits in with the statistics that you look at it like, yeah, they're not all that explosive, but man, they're incredibly efficient. And it's a pretty interesting setup. You got Oklahoma's defense, who's been one of the best defenses in college football on getting off the field on third down, going against the second best team in college football on converting third downs. And as you mentioned that the offensive line will dictate maybe the winner of this game, which offensive line plays better. Going right there, third down, which it's always an important down, no matter what game it is. But, I mean, that's the game right there too, Grant. I mean, Oklahoma didn't get off the field as much as we would have liked them to get off the field against Kansas last week, one of their worst games of the year on third down defensively. If they can right the ship against Texas, obviously that's going to be something that Texas is not used to. And, boy, that'll, that might sway the game right there. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought up third down because that's actually where I was going earlier in the show, uh, you know, when I said but. Um, and it has to do with Devin Duvernay as well, Lee. For as for as dominant as Duvernay has been on third down this season, as dominant as Texas has been on third down as a team, they are insanely predictable on third down. Sam Ellinger takes the snap, stares down Duvernay, throws to him. That's what they do every single time on third <laughs> down. There's some opportunities there to get turnovers in that regard. Um if Oklahoma is if, if they are in a third down passing situation in this game and Devin Duvernay is single covered, that is unacceptable. Unacceptable. He needs to be bracketed on every third down. Hell, he should be bracketed on every single play if they can. Um, so I'm just saying that's I think that's a really good opportunity there to bait Sam Ellinger into throwing some picks. So I'm glad you brought that up too, because that leads into I mentioned a bit that Texas can be somewhat predictable. They tip certain things sometimes. And on third down, that's one of them. You get them about definitely third and long. We'll kind of mark it, you know, maybe third and five and more. And, and I'm, I'm sure in third and short, they'll do it every once in a while. But the go-to for Texas from what I've seen on tape is third down and like five or third down and seven and longer. They spread it out. They go empty, five wide, still in 11 personnel. They put Duvernay in the slot. They move the tight end somewhere. And they basically have Ellinger, like you said, stare down, figure out where Duvernay's going to be. They say, hey, Devin, go find an open spot in this defense that's super spread out because we've spread the field five wide. Sit there. Sam will find you. Or if Sam realizes that that's not going to be there, he kind of just looks to one of his super tall outside receivers and hopes that the defensive back, the corner, is giving them a little bit of cushion, and they just take what they give them, and they kind of box them out and throw a, tall, a you know a kind of a higher pass and let that that tall receiver make a play, and it's going to be even more useful for Texas this game with Colin Johnson coming back. That's what I, I've seen on third down. It's yeah, stare down Devin Duvernay, throw it to him, or go to one of your super tall outside receivers and let them make a play. That seemed to be for the most part Texas's third down strategy, and if we can see that on tape in the little amount we watched, I 
you got to expect that Alex Grinch and company sees that too. And I don't know what they're going to do to to try to to stop it, but I think he made a good point. You know, got to disguise. There are some opportunities. Got to disguise to... in those situations. You, the, that there's your opportunity right there to turn Texas over on third down because he is going to be staring down Duvernay and Lee. I I, I kind of disagree. Like he's he he pulls it down and runs if Duvernay is not open. Like he doesn't look anybody else's way. So I'm. No, I, against West Virginia, I was seeing that. I mean, a couple of his touchdown passes were basically that in the end yeah. zone. So, uh, but I mean, that's like he doesn't want to do that. He wants to go to Duvernay. I mean, he trusts him the most. And uh, yeah, and this I mean, is, I mean, yeah. and you know, I've seen this in three separate games now. So it's so other teams have known this as well and haven't really been able to stop it. So it's obviously yeah. a lot easier said than done. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, th- this is it right here. That that is going to be your opportunity for a big play to confuse Sam Ellinger. You're you're gonna have to. You got to bracket Duvernay on third down. You got to send pressure from weird angles, drop people back, and Ellinger will throw a pick. He will because he did it against West Virginia. Nah, it was a bad pick too, if I remember right. Didn't he throw that in the? Or was that? Oh yeah, no, he threw it in the triple coverage. I'm thinking of something different. They uh. There was one where he almost threw one, but then he 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 ate the throw at the last second. Otherwise, okay. he would have thrown a pick. But yeah, um, I, I think against Oklahoma State, he threw a pick. I can't remember if it was tipped or not, uh, or if that was did, a really it, bad pick. It was tipped, but it was a uh, it was single coverage, and he was going to he was going to Malcolm Epps, and it was uh, it was over the middle of the field. I think it was a, I think it was a series where Duvernay was on the sideline. Um, but yeah, just the Oklahoma State defender kind of undercut it. There, it was a small window, and it was tipped and picked off. It was a bad decision by Ellinger. Okay, so no, you were right. So I got it in my notes here. It was twenty-one to fourteen Texas late in the third quarter against West Virginia, and I got my notes. Ellinger throws an atrocious pick into triple coverage, severely underthrown. West Virginia returns it deep into Texas territory. Texas penalty moves it into the red zone, and then the Texas defense though holds West Virginia to a field goal to cut it to 21 to 17. So yeah, it was a, an atrocious pick against West Virginia that he threw and like triple coverage. And now that we're bringing that up on that play, this is another one of my things I noticed where you might have an opportunity to, to guess what Texas is going to do, not necessarily where the ball is going to go, but if it's going to be a run or a pass, because if Texas comes out, I've noticed this, their bread and butter formation, Grant, let me know if you notice this too, seems to be a three-by-one set with the H-back uh, in the trips near the line of scrimmage, kind of in that H-back role behind the tackle. And that's their bread-and-butter um, formation, their set. And when they're in that set, it's either going to be a run play or a max protect Ellinger taking a shot. That's what I notice a lot of the times in that. And also, too, another one, I mentioned this on part one of the podcast as well, in that same formation, that three-by-one set with the H-back and the trips, if that H-back ever shifts before the snap over to the other side, it's a run play. They run it every single time, whether it's going to be just a straight run, a zone run, inside zone, outside zone, or a counter play where the guy comes inside and and pulls around with one of the guards or tackles, it's going to be a run play if you see that pre-snap shift by the H-back. And that's got to be just uh, something where, as a defender, if you see that guy shift, like, just run blitz or come up, I do something to, to – I, I mean, I, 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 I'm, I don't have any words here because it's just like it's such a – it's a run every single time. So you think, please, just see that and, and 
jump in there and everybody just read run and, and go make a play so i those are some of the interesting things that i found charting tape charting plays and and you know watching this texas team they sure do run gt counter quite a bit i noticed like mm-hmm. relatively speaking yeah they'll do the thing where they'll orbit motion devin duvernay to the boundary side to kind of get the eye discipline going that way and then they'll run the gt counter back the other way you know where duvernay was before just kind of a little misdirection play oklahoma does that too i mean tcu did that i saw against kansas i mean that's a pretty popular play right now and it's a play that texas will probably run in this game also too, a play as we're kind of just throwing something against a wall right now very first play of the game against lsu i thought was a really nice play call for texas i i would almost bet my uh, that's pretty aggressive. I was going to say bet my life, but I would bet a lot that Oklahoma, uh, that Texas is going to run that play again. Uh, it was out of a two-by-two two set. Duvernay ran the orbit motion to the field side, and they faked the pass over to him, but then they came back with a running back screen to Ingram to the boundary side, and it just it got LSU because they were so aggressive, and they picked up like 15, 20 yards off the bat. So that was a I like that play. That's a fun play, and, and Oklahoma's got a very aggressive defense that – I, I bet a substantial amount of money that we're going to see a play like that against Oklahoma. Yeah, I agree. And Texas is going to make plays. They are. They practice, too. They're one of the best offenses in the country. Um, I, I think this game, a lot of this game, is going to come down to getting them off the field in the red zone, man. Force them to kick field goals. That's just that, that's how you play spread defense these days, and um, especially with Texas. I mean, that... Like you said, that third down five wide set that they come out with is really difficult to defend, but it's a whole hell of a lot easier to defend inside the goal or at the goal line, right? So, um, you know, that's kind of what you're. That's kind of what you do. Maybe allow the yards in between the twenties, and then you tighten up inside the twenties. So, I think it might be one of those games, and um, we'll see. I mean, Texas offense is really good. They're, they like said, they're not. They're not extremely explosive, but they know exactly what they want to do, and they're they're really good at executing it. Number nineteen in total offense, six point three five yards per play. Efficiency wise, uh, ESPN's got this efficiency ranking, which I'm not sure where, where they get the numbers, but all you need to know is that Texas's offense is ranked tenth in the country right now, according to ESPN's efficiency ranking, and then the rankings that you like, the S and P plus rating texas's offense is number four in the nation so yeah it's a good offense so i I would guess they're that high because i think they have a really high success rate they they're successful on a lot of plays not extremely explosive but they just i mean they get five yards here and then they get four yards on second down here and then they pick up the third down easily that's that's basically their offense i talked about this briefly in part one of the podcast david obwegu playing a little Sam Backer, rotating in with Brendan Radley-Hiles against Kansas, who was playing the nickel. And it looks like they're showing, you know, Texas a little different looks on defense. Perhaps Oklahoma wants to go a little bit bigger at times on Saturday. I know you're not a big fan of this, Grant, because we've talked about this off the air, but let's get into this briefly. Uh, What can we make of this? Do you anticipate seeing more of a 3-4 look at times on Saturday you know, for Oklahoma, taking that nickel off the field and putting a linebacker on the field as a Sam backer. I really don't like it, Lee. I don't like it. This is a passing team. Texas is a passing team. Um, I just their, their run game doesn't scare me enough to where I feel like I need to take the nickel off the field and put an extra linebacker there. Um, I think we're prob- we are going to see it. I think we're probably going to see a mix of both of it. Um, I guess I, I just have to see how it's how it's deployed. 
and I'm a little uneasy about throwing a true freshman linebacker out there who in college was a defensive lineman, was a pass rusher, and now you're having him play kind of like a traditional outside linebacker role I, I, where he's going to have to maybe cover slot receivers and running backs. I, I don't Unless their plan is to use Igwebu and then as like a chip on Duvernay and then have a safety over the top of it or something like that. I don't. I don't like it because all I can think of is when do when uh, if if Iguebu is out there, all Texas is going to try to do is get him matched up against a wide receiver, and they're probably going to be successful doing it. I I just I don't like it. I, I I think I'm when I when I watch Texas, I'm scared of their passing game. I think they need as many guys out there who can cover as humanly possible. But at the same time, I also am going to concede that if Buki is out there, they're probably going to want to throw that little swing screen to Duvernay and just and dare Buki to tackle him, which I don't think he can do. <laughs> so it's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't thing. Um, that's why Alex Grinch is, played, is, is paid the big bucks. I just, I, in, this, in this age of, of football, I, I, don't, I don't know, man. Uh, it's, that makes me really nervous. You know, I think you did a really nice job of laying out all the different scenarios there because I'm, I don't have anything strong or concrete on this. I'm not as against it as you are. I'm just kind of curious to see how Grinch employs it. I mentioned a couple times on part one. It's a situational thing. I think it's, you know, maybe in situations where Grinch thinks that Texas is more likely to run the football, obviously they'll want him in there, but, you know, clearly Texas can adjust and audible and, and not, th- or not run it. If they see him, you know, out there a certain amount of time. So, you know, to me, this is a straight up wait and see approach. I understand either way. I'm just I am incredibly afraid of Brendan Radley Hiles being asked to tackle anybody in space because he he has proven that he's just not that good at it. And sometimes he just can't do it flat out. So, yeah, again, I thought you you laid it out pretty well. And I don't have much to add on that. So it's just something to watch out for to see how much the kind of Sam nickel position, how that develops throughout the game. Yeah, I just I I want them to put the best lineup out there that makes it easiest for them to bracket Duvernay. That's what I want them to do because that that needs to be their game plan. Make anyone but except for Devin Duvernay beat you. All right, Grant. Last thing on this matchup between the Texas offense and the Oklahoma defense that I have on here is which Oklahoma player on defense do you think has to have a really good game for Oklahoma's defense to be good enough to get a victory? Motley. Ooh, he's gonna be. I I think he. I I think they're gonna go one on one against Colin Johnson on the outside, and I think that's the correct move. I think they should, uh, because I mean he's. I'm Duvernay is just is just scares me more than Colin Johnson does. So, um, I think that I think they're gonna task Motley with with manning up Johnson on the outside so that they can double Duvernay. At least that's what I would do. That's a good one for me. It's one A one B. I said one player, so I think if either one of these guys plays really well, that's a good thing, and I think Oklahoma have a good chance to win. Either Pat Fields or Delarian Turner Yell, one of those two. Obviously, preferably both, but you know, for this particular exercise, it's two. If I had to pick one, I'm going to say Pat Fields. If Pat Fields plays really well, I think Oklahoma's defense will be good enough to win the game because that means that he is playing well over the middle of the field and potentially knocking some some balls away from Devin Duvernay or making tackles immediately on Devin Duvernay or, heck, I mean, best-case scenario, picking off Sam Ellinger. Uh, I think it's really important that the middle of the field, these safeties, uh, yeah, heck, I mean, whatever, both of them play really well because, I mean, that's the key. If That's what I'm most scared of on this Texas offense, and it's because of the safety play and the lack of experience. If that's not really an issue, those guys play well, 
that's pretty golden. So that's yeah. I mean, I gotta say, one. if 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 both of those guys play well, like actually play well, if you know, at the end of the game, we say, yeah, man, those guys had a good game. I I, I don't see any sort of realm where OU loses this game. Yeah. Um, okay. And you know what? Going into it, like I last week, I thought I thought DTY and Fields both played had their best games of the season. Yeah, and uh, I can't remember if Alex Grinch said that or if it was just one of the reporters that say it looked like they had the best game. But uh, Alex Grinch, a lot of positive things about DTY and, and Patrick Fields because really, I think they're playing well. I mean, they're they're improving in his eyes, but also, too, on the downside, he just doesn't have much depth. He has nobody else to put in there aside from them, and that's just the, the reality that we have to deal with, too. They're playing. It seems like they're they're getting better, but they still aren't getting tested as much as I'm sure Grinch would like them to. And also, you could throw out like a you could throw out you know that trio on the defensive line as well because if they're just wrecking shop in the backfield the entire game, then obviously that'll be impactful as well. So, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm excited to see the defense in this game. I'm really curious to see what what the game plan is going in, and because. Uh, I do think this aggressive get after the quarterback style, this is how you play Texas, for sure. This is how you play this style of offense. I think if you just sit back and, and rush three and just drop guys back, that's when Duvernay is just gonna find the soft spot and they're just gonna move it move it five to six yards on you down the field at will. That's what happened last year. Um oh, you yeah, gotta, there's no doubt about it. Yeah. You gotta force the issue. You gotta you gotta force Sam Ellinger to panic and into bad decisions. And not a lot of teams have been able to do that, except West Virginia kind of did last week, which was kind of surprising. I thought uh, there were times, Lee, where West Virginia's defensive line really got the best of Texas up front in that game. And if it wasn't for back-to-back series of Austin Kendall interceptions setting up Texas with amazing field position to get some margin and get the lead, uh, you know, who knows what happens in that game? That game was even, man. Those teams looked even. During you a lot know, of that could, game that I definitely watched. Say, you can definitely say, though, I'm sure Texas was looking ahead to Oklahoma yes. very yes. much. And obviously West Virginia is a more talented, probably a better team than Kansas. So, you know, same thing could have happened to Oklahoma, too, if the roles were reversed. So you got to take that into account, too. You got to be fair. That was certainly a factor. It had to have been a road game. Yes. Before yeah. OUT- yeah. Yeah. I, no, I, I totally agree. Obviously, a much a much more difficult environment to play in as well. Uh, you know, the no yin that was like that was their first true road game this season as well. Um, but at the same time, I mean, the West Virginia showed up and kind of punched them in the mouth a little bit, and West Virginia didn't didn't they didn't seem too small for the moment at all. They looked they looked like they belonged on the same field as Texas, I thought. Like it wasn't it wasn't really a fluke that West Virginia was in that game. Yeah. No, yeah, no, West Virginia looked good. I mean, I was impressed with the way they were played and they had and a really Kindle I know Kindle threw a lot of picks, but I thought Kendall for the like was not that bad. I thought it they just, had a really good offensive game plan. In fact, I, I'm kind of uh, I'm kind of hoping that's the game plan that OU sort of replicates a little bit. And and, and we'll get we'll get into this as uh, as as we get deeper in. But uh, yeah, I, I thought I was pretty impressed by West Virginia rewatching that game. They they were really prepared last week. Well, that's a nice transition into Oklahoma's offense against Texas's defense. And same situation, we have all these numbers in front of us here. Obviously, you're listening, you can't see them, but essentially the numbers surrounding Texas's defense, the, the major stats, they're not good, man. And just for example, I mean, in total defense, it, this is like 
it's like the roles are reversed over the last couple of years. Like normally coming into this game, Oklahoma's total defense is like near the hundreds or just horrible. Texas' total defense right now, and I know that's not a stat that we love that much, but it's a stat that has been around for a long time, and it's just it's kind of like a baseline defensive stat. Texas is 104th in the nation in total defense. That's, that's really bad. Uh, they're giving up more than six yards per play. That's really bad. They're giving up a lot of third down conversions. 40% of opponents convert on third down. That's 89th in the nation. That's really bad, especially when you compare it to Oklahoma, who's having a really good year stopping teams on third down. Texas has given up a lot of explosive plays this year. 114th in the nation in just 10-plus yard plays. Fine, whatever. You know, Teams give up 10-plus yard plays. But then you go into 20-plus yard plays, 25 of them they've allowed. Texas has allowed 12 30-plus yard plays, which is 84th in the nation. Grant, the only kind of positive stat in Texas's uh, – there's really two, actually. Uh, in Texas's defensive favor is takeaways. They have 10. They had four against West Virginia, which is 24th in the nation. And then also Texas is pretty good at stopping the run statistically. That's it. So looking at all of these defensive numbers for Texas, if, if take away Texas, Grant, let's say this is any other team, uh, West Virginia, Texas Tech, Kansas State, and you see these numbers out there, we're saying Oklahoma should have its way offensively with this team, right? Yes. Yeah. And so that's why, um, you know, one of I, – I, in the opening take, I sort of went, went through the last six – uh, OU Texas games from the last six seasons and one of the games on there that's kind of an outlier in terms of of offensive success is that 2016 game and that was a game that OU won 45 to 40 Lee but they had about 700 yards of offense in that game that was the game that D.D. Westbrook went off he had like 300 yards and three touchdowns um, that's I mean Texas's defense was really bad that year and that's kind of what they look like so far this year and so this is a game in which if OU has come in with an offensive line that was completely healthy, this is the type of defense that OU would just go up and down the field on. And I mean, like, they would be a threat to score 60 points in this game. Um, of The injuries on the offensive line kind of dissuade me from thinking like that. But if they find a groove, OU's offense absolutely is a threat to just go touchdown, touchdown, touchdown on these guys. And I'm, I'm dead serious. They're, Texas's defense has really struggled this season. You know, with also throwing the caveat, on there, the caveat in there that they have been pretty good against the run, but, I mean, they, I mean they've let everybody throw against them. Everyone. LSU averaged 8.4 yards per play. In Austin, scored 45 points in that game, won the game, obviously, 45-38, even though Texas's offense let down the defense. Because, I, I mean, I had forgotten how ridiculous it was in that first quarter, Grant, when Texas was you know, goal to go not once but twice and did not score any points in that game, which was – that was insane. Uh, but we're talking about the Texas defense. Here's what I've noticed from Texas defense. They kind of have that – that hybrid, they've adopted some principles from Iowa State with that, what do they call it? Like, you know, the 3-3-5 three, three, or even front. like the 3-6-2. The tight two. front is what, is what it's called. Well, I know Texas calls it like the like lightning, too. I was kind of trying to do some research on it where they have that kind of joker slash middle safety guy that kind of roams around and picks up the pieces and, and is able to kind of 
allow Todd Orlando to send pressure from different ways because they kind of have this roaming player, it seems like, that can fill in the blanks, if you will, for maybe lack of a better term. And I'm not that impressed with Texas's linebackers, and I could be wrong about this, but these guys look slow. Uh, you know, probably a big reason why they haven't been able to stop the pass very well, Texas, because they just they can't really cover people up in the middle of the field or in the slot. Um, they're putting a lot of stress on these linebackers to come up and stop the run, and maybe that's why they're pretty okay at stopping the run because they're selling out against it and then leaving it wide open for the pass over top. Um, it's it's a difficult defense. There's a lot of things going on with this defense, yet it has not been very successful. It's kind of difficult to see or figure out what kind of coverages they're playing because it seems like every single snap they'll move the cor- like at least one corner, if not both corners, aggressively towards the line of scrimmage every single time, like they're going to come up and run support or blitz. But then they kind of read the play there, and then if it's going towards them or something, they'll kind of backpedal and get out of it. Or if it's going away or it's a run, they'll keep coming up and they'll be up there and run support. It's it's kind of a, a, a clever little wrinkle that I think, though, should be exploitable by a good offense to where, okay, we know that almost every single snap, one or maybe both corners are going to aggressively come up and I don't know, maybe that's the read steps. What's stopping Oklahoma from just throwing quick passes above the like, over those guys in a wide open space? Because they always have, I know they have like safeties come over the top to try to to be in that vacated area where the corner is. And so like there's a reason why they do it. They try to prevent big plays, but it's a very bizarre defense really. And it seems like it should work better than it has been working. So I know I'm kind of rambling quite a bit because it's it's a confusing-looking defense that I'm sure is not that confusing, but on tape it does kind of look confusing. But teams have figured it out, and i got to anticipate Lincoln Riley figuring out a lot of weaknesses too. I mean, what have, I see a lot of, a I, you, I see yeah. a lot of weaknesses on this defense. There's there's quite a bit. So, I you know, I um, – and I would – what I want them to do, Lee, I want them to exploit – uh, you know how good they are at stopping the run because they aggressively go after the run. Like I mean, that is that is what that's what everyone in their front is thinking about at all times. They just want to stop the run, and it gets them into trouble. gets them to gets them into a lot of trouble. Um, so espe- I mean, especially against Oklahoma State. I thought Oklahoma State lost that game because they were way too stubborn giving the ball to Chuba Hubbard. Whenever they whenever they got Spencer Sanders out of the pocket and they were and and they had him throw the ball, they were really successful. Except they they decided to give the ball to Chuba Hubbard forty times and just run into a wall every single time. I don't <laughs> didn't really understand that one. And yet uh, Spencer Sanders got his yards on the ground too, though. But most obviously scrambling and. Um, but another yeah. thing that I that I noticed, Lee, and I noticed this in the LSU game and and bits of the West Virginia game that I that I watched. As soon as LSU and West Virginia started throwing the ball around the yard and having success with it, they started getting chunks on the ground because Texas started to back off a little bit and had to respect the pass. So what I want to see OU do in this game, Lee, they need to come out just chucking the rock around the entire field, and they need to do it off of play-action looks early. Texas will bite, and they will get burnt on it. They need to come out, and they need to throw it 13 or 14 times in a row to start this game. The difficulty with that 
will obviously be if they do it off play action, they got to have the time. And if the offensive line is not up to snuff, that's going to be a problem. It sounds like you're saying they should kind of adopt, and you mentioned this already, what West Virginia did, their game plan, because Austin Kendall came out and was throwing the ball around the yard. I think the first, what, eight or nine plays were all pass plays, but it, was, it wasn't it was play action. It was just Austin Kendall getting rid of the football very quickly, just taking what Texas yeah. was giving them, find you know open spots in the zone, and just kind of picking them apart five yards here, six yards there, and getting Texas uncomfortable. And also, and it was working. What it- what I think we're going to see, too, I, th- I think Lincoln Riley will probably throw some wrinkles in there uh, with getting Jalen Hurts out of the pocket. Obvious, I mean, obviously, that's that's been a big part of the offense all season long. So I, I, they're, Lincoln Riley is going to have some ideas to make sure that that Hurts isn't that that Texas isn't just going to be able to tee off on Hurts on, a, on an injured offensive line. I, I think they're going to have some ideas to combat that. Um, but really, I just I. Texas's Texas's MO on defense is aggressively attacking the run game. And I just I I don't want OU to fall into that trap. Just that's what Texas wants you to do. They don't want you to drop back and throw it. So do that. <laughs> yeah, and if they put or if let me start over, if they don't put spies or at least somebody that's depending on what the play is, responsible for the quarterback it's going to be a problem for him because you know with Spencer Sanders he was able to utilize his running ability and that burned Texas a bit and there was a time in the game where you know Sanders that first uh, that first picky through a real bad pick in the second God, that quarter. That was so awful. There were so many good plays available for him there and he just he he made he made the worst decision. Yeah, he just he sailed it and I, I mean you could see what he was trying to do. It was just an incredibly difficult throw and yeah, he had the entire left side up the sideline. He had minimum 15 yards, if not more. And what we've seen from Jalen Hurts is that, yeah, he looks to throw the football, but Jalen isn't afraid to pull the ball down too and run. So if, if that comes up and it's like he's looking down the field and he's trying to find that window, but he has that kind of sense where he notices whenever there's open grass and he just takes off. Even if he sometimes should pass it to maybe an open guy, it seems like he still kind of has that, that instinct to pull down and run and he certainly will if there's that much green grass in a scenario like Spencer Sanders had here at the Cotton Bowl yeah and you know and and I think Texas probably will spy him at times and you know all that does is just free up another person that that won't be in coverage as well Lee and I think that just frees up which is by far in my opinion the biggest mismatch in this game which is OU's receivers against Texas's secondary a huge mismatch yeah, so you have Caden Stearns out. We talked about that already. Who is uh, is it like Deshaun Jamison, the corner that's kind of emerged? He had a couple of picks. Is it is that his name? His last I name think Jameson. so. Yeah. yeah, I think so. Yeah, he had that really nice number five pick. Yeah, number five. So he's kind of the guy that's playing. Uh, you know, I think maybe they're better or maybe best corner, even though he wasn't really expected to be right now. But yeah, I mean. That's a good point. Yeah, I mean, the talented Oklahoma wide receiving core against that secondary of Texas, which is a bit injured. And, uh, you know, I know B.J. Foster's there, and he's saying that Jalen Hurts needs to make sure he slides and things like that. But, yeah, I mean, Oklahoma does, definitely has an advantage in the secondary, and um, I'm glad you pointed that out. That's good. That's good Cause, stuff. Because, I mean, I because I, I assume they're probably going to try to double Lamb at times because if they don't, Lamb's going to go off for 250 and three touchdowns like we saw against Texas Tech. Um, that's just that's going to free up one-on-one coverage for Charleston Rambo and Jaden Hazelwood. Ooh. 
That's good. Making me smile. It's good stuff. Yeah, it's All fun. Right. And also just and and thinking too, if they if they try to get too cute with the aggressiveness and whatnot, we got the we got the old fashioned Dimitri Flowers pop pass to Jeremiah Hall, who is who is showing like an adeptness at being able to run that as well. So oh you've got a lot of options. I mean, they're this is the best offense in college football. They're they're gonna have some success against Texas's defense. Um, it just matters how much success, and I think the health of the offensive line is going to go a long way uh, to deciding how successful they are. But this is a game, really, where I think if OU's offense gets humming, Texas ain't going to stop them at all. All right, any other comments, notes, things you want to point out about the Oklahoma offense going up against the Texas defense before we get into the, the final portion of the preview where we say what we want to see happen and also what will happen? Uh, the only thing is that um, LSU and West Virginia both and even Oklahoma State at times uh, had a lot of success going up tempo against Texas's defense as well. So I expect to see uh, see a little bit of that out of OU uh, on Saturday as well. Haven't seen as much of that in the last handful of seasons, but uh, I there's just been too many instances on tape I saw where LSU had success with it and West Virginia especially that I think they're 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 probably going to run some up tempo at some point in time. It's just a great setup for Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma because yeah they don't do it as much but. It's always there if they need it, and it always seems like they're crisp and they know what they're doing because obviously they practice it clearly. But uh, yeah, I mean, the times have changed where you know we were watching that 08 offense with Sam Bradford and we just loved how fast they they went. And now you don't need you don't need to do that really. Uh, you know, you can kind of pull it out here and there to kind of surprise defenses and things like that. All right, Grant. Time to talk about what we want to see have happen in this game, and we say it every week. If you're unfamiliar with the podcast, this is the point where obviously we want to see Oklahoma win the game, but specifically, what are some things that we just kind of want to see have happen out there, like how they're going to win the game? And I'll go ahead and start it, Grant. I talked about the safeties before. I want to see these safeties play well. What a heck of a game it would be if if they come out and in the Cotton Bowl – both Patrick Fields and Delaria and Turner yell. I mean, they're not going to play perfect. They're going to make mistakes. But overall, you come out thinking, like I, like you said, man, those guys, they played pretty well. Like They weren't liabilities out there. They made some plays. I, I want to see that. I want to see the safeties play well. I mean, obviously, I want to see the defensive line have its way with Texas. It's not going to happen all game, but when we leave the game, I want to be thinking Oklahoma's defensive line won the battle between Texas's offensive line after what Samuel Cosme said about Gallimore and Perkins about now they're not super special. Uh, you know, they're, they're solid, but uh, you know, whatever. So obviously I want to see that. I'd, I'd like to see Ellinger get sacked a couple of times and it's just, I'm even though Oklahoma won a couple of years ago and I know Oklahoma won in the big 12 title game. It's just, it's so different at the cotton bowl. So I, I, I'll be honest with you, Grant. I mean, this is like a pipe dream. This is a straight fan thing to say, but you know, we haven't had, as Oklahoma supporters, as I like to say, one of those OU Texas just fun, stress-free come out and just beat the doors off of Texas games in a long time. And you would remember the last 2012. One. All right, I knew you would. I knew you'd remember the last one b- before I did. And I don't even honestly remember that game because in 2012 I wasn't paying that close attention to OU football back then. I mean, then, we were not. we were both watching it together at home. So oh, were we? Was that? Yeah, we went and got like, uh, geez, we went and we got, got Burger King. I think at halftime. Was that when you were living down in Dinky Town and? Or, no, that uh, was, was the that year something? before. They had they had uh, 2011 and 2012. They beat Texas by 40 plus both both years. 
Gosh, I don't even remember that. That's crazy. All right, well, my memory is terrible, obviously. So, again, I mean, we all want to see that, but I really do. I want to see Oklahoma come out, and I want one of those wins that, you know, everyone's talking about how this could be a statement win, and, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's kind of nice. Oklahoma, we're five games in. Oklahoma's 5-0, and oh, but not a lot of people nationally are talking about the Sooners because, what, are they sixth right now? They're not even in the top four which i love it i want so, to stay like that all year so do i and like there's no reason to get worried about rankings right now because if oklahoma takes care of business it's going to take care of itself unless something crazy happens so in early october if oklahoma drops a spot because they're on a buy or they don't like who cares like who cares they're still undefeated and, and they control their own destiny for the most part but you know what if this is the game where people come away thinking like, oh, oh oh yeah oh oklahoma all right that's a pretty good-looking team right there. They just uh, did that to Texas. I, that's what I want to see. I know it's like an all-encompassing type thing. Um, and also, I, I want to see Jalen Hurts play well in what's going to be his only OU Texas game. And We're never going to figure this out. This is my last thing. I want Jalen Hurts to come away from OU Texas thinking, man, that was actually a lot cooler than playing in the Iron Bowl. <laughs> we're never going to figure that out or know that, but just selfishly, I think that would be cool if somehow – Jalen Hurts leaves it thinking like, God, that atmosphere, this this whole event is that was way more cool than anything I had to deal with or ever went through when I played Auburn. Oh, it's so that's what it's, I want to see. It's undoubtedly a better atmosphere than the Iron Bowl. There is nothing anyone will ever say that will ever convince me otherwise. There's just no way. Um, are are you done with yours? I'm done. All right, so here we go. I'm gonna I'm going to reiterate it again because I think it is so important. But uh, you know what I want to see happen come out throwing off of play-action looks. Texas's strength is aggressively attacking the run game with their defensive backs. They're really good at it. I do not want OU to force the run game in this game, especially with the health on the offensive line. Let the passing game open up the running, la- uh, op- open up the running lanes, and then you can gash them later in the game. That's what West Virginia had some success doing. Uh, number two, go to C.D. Lamb often. In games like this, go to your pros. And C.D. Lamb is undoubtedly one of those. So go to him. Um, and just going off of that, like I said earlier, the biggest mismatch in this game is, is OU's receivers against their secondary. That means Jaden Hazelwood is going to need to have a big game. That means Charleston Rambo is going to have to take advantage of that single coverage. Let's see if Grant Calcaterra can kind of break uh, break out of this little uh, this rut that he's in. Um, that's what I want to see. Toss the ball all around the yard. Um I want the defensive line to pressure Ellinger Lee, and I want them to be able to do it without blitzing. I truly believe, and maybe I am drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit, maybe I'm being just way too biased, I really do think this is one of the most disruptive defensive lines in college football. I think this defensive line is good enough to win a national championship. I do. That doesn't mean I, I think everywhere else on the defense is good enough right now to do it, but defensive line-wise, I think they are good enough there right now. I think they're really good. This is the best defensive line that Texas is going to see so far and this entire season. Um, I want them. To, I want to see them come out and have a good game and pressure Ellinger. Uh, takeaways: Ellinger has not turned the ball over a lot in his career. Yeah, I think he only turned it over four times last year. Only twice so far this season. Um, I think they're going to have opportunities to take it away from him on third down, just because by virtue of him staring down Duvernay so much. Uh, that's your opportunity right there. I want them to take it away, and then. Um, also, just tackle in space. That's going to be so huge, especially when they throw it to Duvernay on the edge. Um, the safeties are going to have to tackle. I, I don't. I don't know what else to say about it than that. They're they're going to have to. They're going to have to get a little dog in them and tackle. They just they got to get the guys to the ground. 
Okay. I uh, think between both of us, we provided a lot of great things that uh, we want to see, and then everyone listening to this podcast, I'm sure we want to see as well. All right. Now to the point of the podcast where we talk about what will happen in this game and give our final score predictions. Grant, I know you just went. Would you prefer going last, or are you on such a roll that you'd like to keep going here go. first? What do you think? All right, go ahead. OU is going to win 45-35. to 35. Ooh, the same exact score as the 08 game where Oklahoma lost to Texas, I believe. Yeah. Okay. No, I and I it's it's going to be a good game. Texas is good. I, I think I think Texas is likely a top ten team, and their offense is outstanding. I think their defense sucks, and will probably continue to suck as the year goes on. Eh, they they might get better. They're pretty young, um, but I mean their offense is is really good. But it's just it's just not on the same level as OU's. And OU's defense so far this season has been better than Texas's. OU is better at virtually every position going into this game. They should win forty five to thirty five. I like that pick. Based on the spread, though, by the way, I didn't mention that. Last I saw, Oklahoma was a 10.5-point favorite. So if that's the number you get, you're saying that Texas will slightly cover, which falls in line with Tom Herman, especially as a big underdog. I know that he didn't cover against LSU, but, uh, but yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, if, these, if, these OU Texas games have been close. If you're betting this game, you, you, can't, you can't take OU in this game. It's just... <laughs> You're just it's you're just taking a flyer if you do that. You you have to take Texas in this game if you're betting. All right, my prediction: what will happen? I'm going to put all my chips into the middle of the table, and I'm going to bank on Jalen Hurts in this game. I think he's why Oklahoma is going to win this game, and I think Oklahoma Grant is going to win comfortably. All the buildup with Hurts what he's done to this team in so little time, how he's affected the culture of this team in so little time. He's kind of brought that mentality that it's never good enough. You win a game by 45, why didn't you win by 50? Why didn't we convert that third down? Why didn't we score in the red zone? Why didn't we score touchdowns instead of field goals in the red zone? Or why did we score touchdowns? You know, it's, it's just never good enough. And you hear it in the press conferences. You hear it from the players. You hear it from Lincoln Riley. I like to think that all of that has taken effect and is going to be certainly into effect in the biggest game of the year. You mix all of that with Jalen Hurts and obviously the offense with Alex Grinch's new direction on defense. We all know Oklahoma's going to give up points in this game. They're going to give up points. They're going to give up plays. That's what Oklahoma's defense does. And Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch has always admitted that. You're not going to play perfect in the Big 12 in this day and age. You're going to give up plays. Other team practices too. But I think Oklahoma is going to be more prepared defensively than they have been in a few years. I like all of these ingredients put together, plus the cherry on top, the fact that Oklahoma lost this game last year, talking to the players this week. Yeah, they're happy they won the Big 12 title game, but that was not payback for losing in the Cotton Bowl. This is different. This is the regular season game where everyone – comes together it's half and half everyone talks about it heck even a month ago people were talking about this game depending on who you are uh, people always look forward to the game in the cotton bowl at the state fair so the fact that oklahoma lost last year that weighs heavy as well i say the sooners win this game 52 to 35 i think oklahoma puts up 
one more touchdown than LSU put up against this Texas defense. And I think Oklahoma's defense holds Texas to about what LSU held this Texas offense to, which was, I believe, 38 points. But I'm going to say 35 points. 52-35, Oklahoma wins the game. And I know very well that last year at this time, I picked Oklahoma to win and probably, I think, cover, even though it was Tom Herman as an underdog. And that was one of the worst picks ever. So I'm very aware of that. I know I'm going back to the well, but at least in my defense, there's a lot of different things and a lot of reasons I think Oklahoma's going to win this game. Although I will also admit, as I keep rambling on, I'm very well aware that this pick is kind of thinking that Adrian Ely's going to be available and he'll actually play. I'm not sure how healthy he's going to be, but man, I, I will be very uneasy about this pick if it's the same offensive line starting that started against Kansas. Do you have any idea how much I love the fact that it's Texas's players that are talking trash and OU is just being very complimentary? I love that so much. Well, clearly you didn't listen to part one of the podcast because there was at least one, there was one soundbite from Charleston Rambo that a Texas fan would definitely take as bulletin board material slash Oh, what'd he talk. say? Well, I haven't seen that circulating anywhere, so what was it? It, uh, and it was a question I asked him to. <laughs> Because I asked him about, um, you know, the fact that they lost last year's game at the Cotton Bowl, even though they beat them in the Big 12 title game, they had that kind of sense that they got to get them back here in the Cotton Bowl. And Charleston said that, you know, the fans, you get the feeling from the fans that they want this win in the Cotton Bowl more than the Big 12 title game. And so he said that I'm, he said that we're going to try and guarantee that we get this win this year. It, it wasn't like a full fledged. I guarantee oh, that's going to win. That's not bad. But it was like, if you're a Texas fan, you heard it, you would definitely take that as, oh, they're guaranteeing a win, which I don't blame them. I would. So I'm not, not sure if Texas the, knows not, about that. but Not quite on the same level as B.J. Foster basically saying, yeah, we're going to injure Jalen Hurts unless he no, unless he, he starts sliding. I, I, saw his, I saw the video of that, and it was he kind of was tongue-in-cheek with it. He wasn't being a jerk about it. He, okay. he kind of laughed. So there, there was no you know, malice in his in his words there. Anywho, the uh, the lesson that needs to be taken from this is talking trash is lame. It's so freaking lame. It only sets you up to be embarrassed. I'm going to say it. Look, Just look at our buddy Baker Mayfield. <laughs> Which we haven't well, talked about on this podcast pretty much all season. I wonder why. Well, we haven't talked about it on the podcast because we go too long and I got to get going. So uh, that's Fair. why. I mean, it's... yeah. It, I mean, you can at some point. It's like it's like a, illegal to talk about it. Yeah, I mean, I've said it a million times before. I'll say it briefly here. He will continue to do everything he's always done up until he gets humbled and he starts to have uh, problems and he doesn't have success anymore. And that's the point where he's going to have to change and adapt. And this is the moment. Will he? We don't know. It's finally getting to the point now where he, all of his antics and all of his whole shtick, it's not working anymore because he's not winning. You can do all that stuff as long as you're winning and having success, but when you're not doing that, you got to stop it. And we'll see. We'll see how he handles it. So that's my take on that briefly right now. All right, Grant, let's look at the Big 12 quickly. Just two additional Big 12 games. Texas Tech's at Baylor. How about Baylor? 11-point favorite, still unbeaten. Baylor, pretty good team, it looks like. I will admit, though, I have still have not seen one Baylor snap all season long. Yeah, <laughs> I, have I haven't either. I have not seen and Baylor I'm like play one game. Yeah, I, I was actually, I was reading through some stuff earlier today, and I was just reading about Baylor, and I was like, man, 
Baylor just doesn't scare me at all. And maybe maybe that's because I just I haven't watched them at all. Uh, okay, I I have seen some snaps. Mostly, I've I haven't seen their offense really. I've seen I've seen most I've seen a lot of their defense, but um, and their defense. James Lynch is really good on their defensive line, but I I don't. I mean, I nothing else that they have scares me whatsoever. But I I just think they're probably just going to be Baylor in that regard. But <laughs> who'd they play last week? Did they have a bye, or did Kansas they beat State. somebody last week? They beat. Oh, yeah. They went on the road and beat Kansas State by like nineteen. So yeah, maybe Kansas State's not all like we're cracked up to be. Yeah, I think that 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 looks to be the case, and and Mississippi State is terrible, so maybe that, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, maybe that win is was not as uh, as impressive as we thought. So yeah, Baylor, interesting matchup because you got Texas Tech coming off uh, the big win over Oklahoma State. You know, that one surprised me. That surprised me a lot. Yeah, Oklahoma State. They were supposed to be more disciplined this year and not have those letdown games against opponents they're supposed to beat. And then they they do that against Texas Tech, a Texas Tech team that only managed 16 points. But uh, you got to give credit to Texas Tech's offense. I mean, Jet Duffy had over 400 yards passing or something like that. And, I mean, defensively, Texas Tech, I think they gave up some points to Oklahoma State, but not until later in the game. So they must have figured something out. So good for, good for the Red Raiders. But that's an interesting matchup, though, because Tech's coming off a big win, Baylor's coming off a big win, and Baylor's laying 11 at home. So I, I kind of like I, – I, I think I would probably lean towards Tech plus the points there just because – I would too. Uh, it's, that's a lot of points for Baylor to be laying, especially if Tech's defense is, is not that bad. And they got a little confidence on offense. But whatever, we're not going to pick that game. Uh, Iowa State's a road, 10.5-point road favorite at West Virginia. So West Virginia, you know, Texas, played Texas well up until the end, lose. Now they're 10.5-point home underdogs against an Iowa State team with a, a really good defense. So – no idea how that's going to go. If West Virginia wins that game, man, Iowa State, come on! But uh, that's a game I kind of, I kind of envision Iowa State winning like thirty-one to six or something. That was that game last week for West Virginia against Texas. That's really their only really good chance of getting like a marquee win this season. Texas coming into Morgantown, I, I think they're going to be flat. I wouldn't be surprised if Iowa State just flattens them. But also at All the right. same time, I. I'm I'm still I, I still think Iowa State's probably not not that great either. So um I guess we'll see. All right, let's get into our picks. That's how we're gonna end the podcast today. And full disclosure, I have not done much research at all. So this is just literally done for fun. All of our time this week for Grant and I is hopefully you could tell the last two days have gone into preparing for Oklahoma, Texas. But again, just for fun, we'll make these picks. A lot of you know, this is more of an exercise and how much we have kind of learned about sports betting over the years and obviously what we know about these teams but at some point you kind of bet numbers but college is so hard man college is not that not that easy I'm having a, a lot better year betting the NFL than I am college football this season but NFL is not easy either anyways Grant last week you were one and four not great I was two and three still not great we are now tied on the season we're each 14 15 and one so at worst we're losing you guys 100 bucks if you're betting whatever whatever you're betting like we're, we're not making any money we're not really losing any money Eh, we're having fun first game michigan state at wisconsin wisconsin's laying 10 and a half at home honestly you've kind of figured this would be a little bit bigger number but i guess michigan state was in the top 25 recently and they got a good defense i uh, you know 
every week on this podcast, I have to make sure I remind everyone, everybody that I hate the Big Ten. I hate both of these teams so much. I will probably pa- pass this game. I guess uh, I'll lean. I'll lean the points, even though Michigan State can't score. So I, you know, I, I, I don't know anything about these teams. I don't know if Wisconsin's all that cracked up to be because their schedule is not that great. I still think Michigan State's offense isn't very good. But I'm going to kind of bank on maybe Wisconsin hasn't been tested and maybe Michigan State's offense isn't a dumpster fire. So I'll lean and take the take the ten and a half points of Michigan State. Yeah, I like Michigan State here, actually. Um, Northwestern a couple weeks ago kind of gave the blueprint to challenge Wisconsin, which is essentially load the box, stop Jonathan Taylor, force Jack Cohen to beat tight single-man coverage, which he cannot do. Um, and, well, I mean... I think, what, Northwestern's offense outscored Wisconsin's offense in that game. Um, Michigan State has one of the best defenses in the country. They actually had a sneaky, really nice game plan against Ohio State last week, but Ohio State's just too good. They, they were able to impose their will as the game went on. Um, this is going to be a really low-scoring game. If I'm actually betting this game, I would probably want to take the under. Um because I, I mean, this game, this game might honestly be pay, played like in the tens, and I'm dead serious. <laughs> I hate the Big Ten, man. Um, it's such a stupid conference. But I like Michigan State just because in, in a game with two really good, uh, two really good defenses, and at times really limited offenses, um, I'm going to take the team that's getting ten points that has a top ten defense in the country. Specifically, ten and a half points. You got the hook, so it's even nicer. Bama at A&M, the number that we're going to play on is 17. I think it might be down to 16 and a half, but the last I saw when I put this together was 17. And, uh, man, I it's too big of a number for me to like, but I'm going to lean Alabama, mainly just because Texas A&M is not a place that's difficult to play. Alabama's gone on there in, their, in the recent years and beaten the Aggies in College Station. I know the Alabama defense is is struggling. It's not the old Alabama defense where they can suffocate teams. So maybe Kellen Mond will have a little bit more success than you would expect against this this Bama defense. But uh, I I just this is more of a pick against Texas A and M. It is a lot of points, so that's why I only lean. Uh, so I got to lean Bama getting uh, or laying the seventeen. I like Bama in this game. What is what has Texas A and M done this season to make us think that they're even a good football team? Let's see. I thought they played Clemson pretty tight defensively, but uh, offensively they just couldn't do much in that game. Yeah, I just i I don't think Kellen Mond is good. They don't really know what to do with him. I Alabama's going to win this game pretty easily. I, I just I don't Texas A and M is is just is. At, at their very best, they're just okay. They're not very good. People need to people really need to pump the brakes with Texas A&M until they actually prove that they can win at an elite level. Let's see. A&M coming off a bye. Is Bama coming off a bye, or did they play last week? Yes, they, they are. Be. So they're both coming off a bye. Well, actually, the more I think about it, yeah, you're. I kind of like Alabama now, too, because, geez, they've only had they, – they've. The, here are the wins for Texas A&M. Texas State, Lamar, Arkansas by four <laughs> in a game where I think they were trailing late. And their two losses are to Clemson and Auburn, two top ten teams. And, uh, you know, one of them is on the road. Uh, yeah, I, you know what? I, even though Alabama's defense is not as good as it has been, isn't Alabama supposedly a lot better against kind of those more like pro-style, like, 
don't spread it out a whole lot offenses, oh, yeah. which they, which basically that's what A and M still is. They freaking tee off on those offenses. I mean this, and you got I, you got Jimbo Fisher still just trying to force feed his pro style offense that doesn't work anymore because it's easy to stop. It's just yeah, Texas A and M is is not very good. Just fade them, fade them very hard. <laughs> okay, uh, back to the I hate the Big Ten category. Penn State is laying three on the road at Iowa, coming off that that incredibly high scoring ten to three loss to Michigan, when everybody, all the public, backed Iowa as the uh, the road or the was it the home dog? Were they at home and they lost that game? I can't even remember. No, no, Michigan was at home, right? Yeah, it was it was okay. in Ann Arbor. Yeah, because if that game was in Iowa, I would have been a favored. But uh, let's see, what did Penn State do recently? Have they played since that? They destroyed Maryland. Um, let's see. Let's yeah, uh, did they play Rutgers last week? I want to say no, no. Yeah they they beat uh, they beat Purdue thirty five to seven last week. All right, so man, Penn State seemingly rounding in the form. Where were all those points against Pitt? It's ridiculous. Well, here's here's kind of the the sneaky little thing about Penn State. Their offense is not good. So. You know, I. So Maryland and Purdue each just have atrocious defenses. I would take it then. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I kind so, of. So Penn kinda, State Iowa could be a take the under game as well. Yeah, I, I kind of lean Iowa here by virtue of them being at home and they have a good defense, and Penn State has struggled against every good defense that they have faced this year, and I think it's been like two of them. They've struggled in both games. So, um, and this time it's on the road. I. It wouldn't wouldn't shock me at all if Penn State wins this game by double digits, but just by virtue of having better players, more athletic players. Uh, but Iowa, they seem to be a tough out at home, so I'll I'll lean Iowa here. Yeah, just on the virtue of Iowa coming home after a loss to Michigan on the road, now catching points at home and being uh, kind of overlooked because Penn State's now a top ten team. I actually kind of like Iowa in this game. So yeah, we're both yeah we're we're on the same on all these games so far. Next one, I I have a feeling we're gonna be in the same with this one too. USC at Notre Dame. Notre Dame is laying ten and a half at home. I, I mean I just, I don't know how you don't take Notre Dame here. I, I, I know you, I don't think you like Notre Dame as much as I do, but Notre Dame's a good team, and it's more of to me this comes down to a coaching matchup, and I think it's a mismatch. I think Brian Kelly will keep his guys buttoned up. I'm afraid of the hook, that, that half point, ten and a half, but uh, to me, this is Notre Dame or pass, so I'll take the Irish. I lean Notre Dame here just because I think the line is fishy. Um, I, I would have, like, if, if I was picking this game blind, I probably would have guessed, like, a 16 and a half or 17 and a half point favorite for Notre Dame. So I'm, the line's a little fishy to me, which makes me, which makes me kind of, Maybe sort of want to take USC, but I'll I'll lean Notre Dame just because I yeah I, I think Notre Dame is is quite a bit better than USC and uh, Notre Dame yeah go ahead sorry I was gonna say yeah the Matt Fink and Keaton Slovis you know the two backup quarterbacks they're they've been both of them two they're both very poorly graded by Pro Football Focus that was something I didn't uh, necessarily know from from their game so far so uh, huh. maybe maybe that was a little more smoke and mirrors than a lot of people thought those two guys. USC coming off a bye, but, uh, I mean, their previous game was on the road at Washington where they didn't score very many points, and uh, now they got to go on the road at Notre Dame. So, I mean, they got that bye in there, so the 
the travel, that's not going to be much of a problem. But uh, Notre Dame might as well have had a bye last week, too, because they shut out Bowling Green 52 to nothing. Freaking covered that 45-point spread. <laughs> yeah. All right, man, we've all uh, we've been on the same teams every game. Maybe this will be a, a change here. We got Florida at LSU, the game of the week, aside from OU Texas. LSU at home laying 13 and a half. Florida, obviously, with a big upset over Auburn last week. Let's see. Graham, let's you go first here. I lean Florida here, actually. That's just a lot of points. And, uh, I mean, everyone has been fading Florida, and all they do is cover. And they also have the best pass rush in the country going up against one of the best passing offenses in the country. That's going to be an interesting battle to watch. Uh, that's that's kind of a lot of points to be given to be given a, a, a team that has the best pass rush in the country and, you know, probably one of the five best defenses in college football as well. I think they they might struggle to score, even though um, even though their their backup quarterback has kind of unlocked some of their offense, and he's because he doesn't turn the ball over, and he just gets the ball out to their to their speedy skill players. Um, you you may have been right about that, Lee. They're you know they're they're better without Felipe Franks. So I did um, hear. I think that Kyle Trask might have some sort of like lingering injury or something. Yeah. That okay. Yeah. Might that's, limit him. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. I mean, that's something to watch for sure, but. Yeah, I think I we're we're getting to the point now where I think Florida is a little underrated. I they're they're not a threat to to win a national title or even go to the playoff. I don't think, um, but yeah, they're at the point now where I mean, if they're thirteen and a half point underdogs, uh, they're they're pretty underrated at this point. You're getting quite a bit of value with Florida, which is why I think you should lean them. So yeah, Kyle Trask with a sprained knee, but apparently he's coming along. Oh, nicely, that seems that means. like significant, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so here's the here's where this game comes down to. This is how you can kind of handicap it as a as a Joe Schmo. The way I'm going to do it quickly without doing much research. Look at Florida. Obviously, their defense is getting a lot of praise. Really good defense. But look at the schedule they play. They have not faced a good offense yet. And I'm sorry, Auburn. That's not that great of an offense. It's kind of a gimmicky offense. It always is. It's okay. There. It's an okay it's, offense. It's fine. And I mean they. We're successful against as a home game against Auburn, and and they got Auburn. But outside of that, they played Towson, Tennessee, Kentucky, UT Martin, and Miami. Those aren't very good offenses. Meanwhile, LSU's got a really darn good offense, so it's going to be by far the best offense that Florida has seen this year. And then on the flip side, by far it's going to be the best defense that LSU has seen this year. So the question is, you know, which side do you want? And I it makes total sense that you would take the points here, Grant. But you know what, Grant? I'm actually going to lean towards laying the points here because it's an offensive-type game now. And with LSU being at home at night, it's a cliche. But uh, this could be one of those things where, you know, f- they they get up on Florida. How are they going to be able to come back? Because, you know, Florida's offense still isn't that great. Um, so I don't like it, but I think – God, you know, and also Florida had the big win last week too, so they're kind of riding high on that. And I, you know, I'm obviously I'm going to try to think of things that just fit into my narrative for the handicap. So you know, you could also argue, hey, Florida, big win last week. Let's let's keep it going. Let's keep it going into LSU. Yeah, and you know, that'd be fair too. Whatever you think, but uh, I'm going to lean to LSU minus the points. Uh, and you said you're gonna you're on Florida. Yeah, I lean Florida. All right, so one game we we uh, we differed in. Man, I rewatching that LSU Texas game. I was freaking sitting there shaking my head, just thinking to myself, "God, LSU's offense is kind of fun to watch. What freaking <laughs> world do we live in?" It doesn't make any sense. It really doesn't. 
man. And Joe Burrow's he's good. He's absolutely. Good I mean, the dude. I didn't know he was this good. I told you he was he was a good player last year. No, I I'm, he I'm wasn't I will good. I will stand by this. My take last season was absolutely correct. Joe Burrow has made that take from last season look really dumb. Now Joe Burrow looks awesome. He looks like an NFL player. <laughs> All right, we've uh, we've gone long. Hopefully, you guys have enjoyed the content this week from. West of Everest, I think overall we'll have given you over a couple hours of OU Texas talk. Grant and I will be back. Uh, you know what? Depending on how things go, maybe I'll be able to get this podcast up Sunday. I think I got the last podcast up last Sunday, too. Sometimes I'm able to get it up on Sunday, but for sure it always comes up on Monday. Uh, either way, uh, I will not be in Dallas. I have to stay back for News 9. My job will be to anchor the shows, so... Uh, Unfortunately, will not be at the game, but that's okay. I am more than happy to to be back and anchor the shows from Oklahoma City and watch the game on television. Obviously, Grant, you will not be there as well, but uh, we'll both be watching as will all of you. All of you out there that are going to the game, enjoy. You all know it's one of the, the greatest college football atmospheres you can ever experience. Grant and I have been there. Grant, you've been there more than I have, I think. Uh, I've been there three times. You've been there, what, four or five now? Five. So, I've been to five games, yeah. So, yeah, it's we're going to have to go back again at some point. But um, either way, enjoy the game. OU Texas is almost here. And uh, we'll be back next either Sunday or Monday to talk all about it, hopefully an Oklahoma W. Until next time, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.